Hey everybody, this is Eric Mueller, the host of The Eric Mueller Show. You're tuned in to the podcast that explores what makes any successful person's inner clock tick by unlocking the most impactful tools within their success portfolios. I'm joined today by Oliver Wood, the founder of Body Reset and one of the most sought-after experts for coaching busy professionals and business owners over the age of 40. Ali has helped thousands of clients upgrade their bodies, energies, and productivities through his innovative R4 method. Let's head on over to the interview. Ali, welcome to the show. Thanks, Eric. So good to be here. Man, it's really great to have you on here. I think that this is you know, listeners that you, that you know me, I am 30 years old. I'm not quite to 40, but we're all progressing that way. Hopefully we continue to age. That's good news. So I thought it would be really cool to bring Ali on here to talk about his niche in terms of helping us stay healthy and productive as we get into the ages of 40 and beyond. And Ali, before we dive deep into this story and your expertise in the coaching space, we want to know what makes up your success portfolio. So if you're new to the show, let me just give you a quick background on this. I look at it like an investment portfolio is a compilation of investments that lays foundations for financial goals. Well, here on The Eric Mueller Show, we want to discover how successful people like Ali invest in themselves and build the foundation for their success in that way. So Ali, start us off. What are some habits or traits, skills or mindsets that make up your success portfolio? Yeah, I love that question. Uh, first one, I think I'm just going to use uh, the the phrase delayed gratification, right? The ability to suffer now to to work towards a long-term outcome. And doing that through multitude of sports became a natural transition to what that looked like in business. And I think that's a trait that you probably see in a lot of high-level entrepreneurs and certainly in the masterminds and, and groups I've been in. It's certainly been a trait that's pretty consistent. So simply reinforcing that I can do the hard stuff now in order to get the outcome later uh, has been something that I think is truly ingrained. The second part has been, it's all good working hard, but am I running the right direction? And for me, I've always looked at investing into fast tracking results, not to try find the quick fix. I couldn't, I couldn't care less if it required effort is, am I going in the right direction? So you know, I'm probably north of two or 300 grand in regards to one-on-one -on -one mentoring and coaches. Um, and, you know, that will continue because it's it has a return on investment, right? And I think through me being able to learn particular skills, I would much rather at this point invest in the best I can find to work with me one-on-one -on -one or to refine my thought process around something as opposed to it being, uh, let's consume you know, all the content, and I've been in that space too, I will always go through that spot. But I think a transition over time is initially you have more time than you have money. And then over time, you start to use money more to save time. And so that the concept or mindset overall, I think people can use is through the lens of investing into them. But through what resource? Is it time or is it money? And I think over time that transitions, but that awareness of I will do whatever it takes to get there. I'm not investing money in order to, to make you do the thing. I'm investing in the thing to learn how it can be done. And I think that's something in today's world, especially in the online space, is starting to transition where there's 
a lot of crazy guarantees and we'll do this for you and we'll fix the business. No one will build your business for you. You have to build that skill set. So that's something I think in today's world is something we need to look at a bit more. But if I was to refine it, delayed gratification and investing into me. Yeah, I love those points. And really the piece on time really strikes home with me. I don't know if it's as I've gotten older, as I've got out of traditional schooling and have a you know W-2 job right now, Time, the passage of time really frightens me, Ali. So I, I really, I want to ask you first and foremost, in regard to how we can keep our health on the, you know, top potential for us, what does someone do if they feel like they just don't have that time? Maybe they're at the point now where they've got some money and they're running out of time, at least their perception of time. Is it is this through the lens of trying to achieve a goal or just being able to make sure we're not farting around and, and achieving something? Let's kind of go on the on the edge of of progressing towards the right goal in terms of, you know, the health and mindset piece, professional development of oneself, you know, kind of from the lens of of maybe let's take it from like a mental health standpoint. Yeah, okay. Cuz I was initially going to go down the lens of having something written, have something tracked and be truthful. Am I closer or further away from my goal? And if I repeated today a thousand times, would I be closer or further away from my goal? And I think for us, many of us are like, yeah, yeah, I'm working towards it and I'm justifying it through the lens of oh, I'm just working on this or I need to get this out of the way. But are you actually moving towards the goal? And the very classic example of this is someone trying to start a business is too busy trying to register the company and build out their business cards than actually find their first sale and justify as a business worth building. So when you write down those goals and you get six months down the line and you've been busy, but you're not actually any closer to your goal, I think there's a real hard check around moving forward. To tie this into your second point, and I'll try and make it into the first point, which is the mental health standpoint, is sometimes mental health is not you doing a two-hour meditation. It's you doing the thing you said you would do that you're not doing, right? And this really ties into procrastination. It usually ties into stress. It's the things you know you should be doing that you're not doing. So let's redesign what self-care means, right? It doesn't need to be that you need two days more on the beach. It means you need to do the things that's going to move you and whatever project, whatever goal you have forward. And if we look at it through that lens, I think we start to get much more clear on goals and what are actually measurable. And we start to redefine what is self-care through the lens of how we actually truly move forward and look after us in the long run. Yeah, I I definitely resonate with that in terms of writing things down. I'm big on to-do lists and you know, I've used a few different applications to lay out the schedule of things that I want to accomplish. And, you know, really, I think for me, I I do set my mind to it and know, come hell or high water, I'm going to get this done. Like it might, it might be tough. I might be up late if I've got a crunch time to get an assignment done or something, but it just, it's motivation. And it's like, you're almost making the commitment in the present for the future. If you write something down, I feel like, do you get that feeling when you start to coach clients in, in your business in terms of body reset? Do you feel like is that the first step to write these goals down? Yeah, there has been a drastic difference in our the results of our clients through simply the step one is welcome to the program, write your goal below, right? And it becomes a de- declaration to yourself more than anyone to actually make sure things move forward. And I think we all have these floating ideas in our head of our general intentions, but as we start to write down that becomes powerful to us beyond anyone else. And sometimes there can be some internal judgment. There can be some, is this the right goal? Is this really what I'm after? And all of those become your internal coach, your internal compass in regards of, is this actually truly something you're after? Or is it just something you should want? And Eric, this is something we see in our space all the time, which is, I know I should be healthy. That doesn't mean shit. 
at some point you've got to want to be healthy and you want to make the change, right? Because you can't pay a certain amount of money and your body improves. You've got to be able to lean into the person that wants to become healthy. Uh, we say a lot in our world, you don't become the surfer by wearing the t-shirt, right? You've got to do the things. You've got to make the tweaks. You've got to ride the waves. And if you're not making those tweaks, writing it down could be a really nice mirror, a really nice reflection. Is this something you actually want? Yeah. And let's before we really get into the, the nitty gritty of your business, one other question on top of that I just thought of was, let's say you write down your goal and you notice that throughout the process, it starts to shift. Do you mm-hmm. Do you recommend your clients? I mean, would you say scrap that goal completely or do you refine it or do you, you know, kind of mentally cross it out and write below it or what? Let's talk like in terms of like a physical piece of paper that we wrote on. What do we do with that if we realize that our initial written goal is not where we're headed towards? Yeah, great question. For us, I think it's clarifying how we design a goal, right? Because again, most people will just write a goal of, uh, I want to run every day, right? And that becomes the goal. And if we walk through what that looks like, we if we achieve that goal, right? And we've worked really hard, we've we've made sure we run every day. Let's zoom forwards 30 days. We have we have sore knees, <laughs> we feel unmotivated to run. Uh, we haven't lost any body fat after the first week, and we're we're now going to give up on the goal. The problem is that we've set the goal based on uh, a particular activity. We haven't based the goal on the outcome. And this is something that I go back and forth on a lot because I think a big problem is if we go the other way is we focus so much on the outcome, not the actions required. So I'm going to break this down into two sections, which is we need to be locked in on the goal, flexible on the approach. And I think that's where coming in from if the goal was actually truly to be fit, feel good in your own clothes and have and feel strong, feel fit, then that should be the goal. It shouldn't be running, right? That's just a vehicle to get to the goal. So refining the actions based on what are the steps I need to do in order to achieve the goal will be flexible over time. But making sure that we have it in order to go the other way is we also need to clarify that we need to have as many action goals as we have outcome goals. And where I'm, what I mean by this is, you know, throughout the lockdowns, we, uh, me and my partner watched the last dance, right? The, uh, the basketball, uh, not documentary really enjoyed it. I thought it was really well put together. And I found myself getting to the end of that documentary and I really wanted to play basketball, right? We went out and bought a basketball, shot a couple of hoops, and then it stayed in the garage like ever since, right? And that's something that we see inside of the health space all of the time is we like the idea of being healthy, but actually doing the day-to-day task is not something we've thought about, right? It, it, it's set a different way. We glorify the goal and we have no intention to follow through on the, the actions required. So it's really the balance between the two. And the way that we tackle that for our clients to, to bring this back is what are the feelings that we want to feel? What are the objectives that make those feelings justified? What are the skill sets required to hit that goal? Because usually if a goal is worth achieving, it's outside of our current comfort zone, right? Which I think for many people really starts to get in the way of this delayed gratification, right? Which is, I'm not achieving the goal. It's like, yes, because your best is not good enough yet, right? And when we look at it that way, we start to realize this is very much a character building experience. And then the last one, which is my favorite, what are the obstacles? And I think when we add those four lenses, right, feelings, uh, outcomes, skill sets, and obstacles, we start to get an idea of the actions required. We start to not just look through it through a lens of this is all going to be sunshine and rainbows. We actually look look at what's going to get in the way of those goals, and we start to build a game plan to make it happen. Yeah, I love that you use the example of running. I actually come from a a running background, long distance running throughout 
high school and college. And so I've still, you know, still training. I'm not, I wouldn't consider myself to be in racing shape today, but I plan to run a full marathon soon and have my first full full marathon under the belt. But yeah, really you hit the nail on the head in terms of delayed gratification with just that in my experience with that. I know I can speak to, you know, you, you see people perform on race day, but you don't see everything that goes into it beforehand. And you sure as heck are not ready to run that race on day one, especially if you're just starting off for the first time. So I think that that's an important piece. I'm really glad that you shared that. Even on that point, even on that point, Eric, where you talk about doing a long distance race when you were 20 versus 35 or 45, right? The amount of times we've done that with clients and we start to realize, okay, everything you need to know, we need to put that to the side right now. Because for you to learn right now, we need to unlearn, unlearn what you think you know. Because Eric running at 20 is very different than Eric running at 35 or a 45, 55. And one of the transitions we start to see, certainly for myself, when I was in the rowing space or any sort of sport, it was like, cool, volume, right? I'm just going to run and do all of the volume possible. (laughs) Whereas as we start to get older, we start to consider, hopefully, our joints. We look at strength. We look at making sure there's speed, right? One of the things I've noticed from uh, previously in a triathlon background is as people got older, they naturally started to do longer distances. And I thought, huh, I can't wait to get older. I must get better in endurance, which is entirely the wrong uh, perspective because what <laughs> happened is people simply got slower, so they would do it for longer, right? right? So as we get older, protecting that speed, that power, that strength component can be one of the biggest longevity markers for you to continue running or doing any sport endeavor you want. Would you say that that the clients that come to your program what what is the breakdown, you know, age-wise and demographically of those clients? I mean, are you getting people right as they hit 40 or, you know, are people 55 by the time they realize they need something like this or if someone is sitting in my position at 30, are they are they, you know, are you grateful that they're thinking about it now so that they can prevent some of these things in the future or where where do we go with that, Ali? What does your client base look like? Yeah, man. Um, The sad truth is most people need 10 years to suffer in order to make a change, right? And, you know, at 30, we've got a couple clients in the program that uh, they realize that it's going to, that's only getting worse from here (laughs) and they want to get onto (laughs) it early. But I think one of those things, it's, it's not necessarily that it gets worse in a way. I might even refine what I said. It's looking through the lens of your body starts to respond differently. And as you start to work with a different biology, it requires a different approach. So to answer your question more specifically around the type of clients, typically 40 to to 55 is that main market. But we tend to find that females tend to join us around basically 39 to 48. And that typically is right at the start of the perimenopause, right? We're starting to see big shifts in hormones. We're starting to see how what they're eating before is no longer responding the same way. And especially on the training side, that tends to change Whereas on the male side, it tends to be a lot slower death, right? Anywhere from 30 to 35, we start to see a 1% to 2% of testosterone that starts to decline. That's something that a lot of people, I think, are aware of. But it takes an accumulative, you know, 5, 10, and sometimes 15 years for people to realize, hang on, (laughs) this isn't working the same way, right? So I reckon there's, you know, uh, females tend to join us about five years before males. But that's typically because there's a more drastic shift in hormones and potentially more of a preventative focus on health as opposed to men that unfortunately tend to be more reactive as uh, you know, I've been slogging my guts for five years. This is no longer working like it used to. And now I'm going to change my approach. Right. Yeah. Thank, thanks for clearing that up. Yeah. So I, I think let's, let's take it from a client joining you from the first time. Let's say that, that I'm Eric now and I'm, I'm 45. So I've had five years of, of suffering since I turned 40 and I realize training for my marathons is really hard now. Share with us what what you would start with in terms of resetting both my thought process and you know my physical approach to the to the training 
And you might tie in the key components of that, that four-step system for upgrading body energy and productivity with the R4 method. Yeah. So with every single client we we work with, we're always going to start with an assessment of, you know, the classic uh, medications, supplements, sleep quality, um, bowel movements, where are you sitting overall to make sure things are healthy, right? We always want to focus on whether it's more of a body composition goal, which would be 90% of the time or more of an endurance performance-based goal, obviously the other 5 to 10% of the time. Um, would be getting the body healthy first so it actually feels like you're operating with it on your side rather than feeling like from day one, we're just slogging you with more volume, more activity, less calories, right? And I think this is something where, you know, thermodynamics certainly play a role. But if you think this game is entirely calories in, calories out, if you hit your mid-40s, you're going to be sorely disappointed with the results that you've left on the table. So for us going through that R4 that you referred to, we go through our reset, repair, restore, and then reinforce phase of that program. That reset and repair entirely focused on front-loading health, actually getting Eric's body back on his side first before we look at any performance metrics, right? It's a classic quality over quantity game. So we're going to simply start with what does your day look like? Where do you feel that you can get training in consistently? What parts of your day feel sluggish, under-recovered? You know, all of the metrics, there's going to be a hundred different sort of checkpoints or touch points that we're assessing over that first month in regards of how are your body, how is your body functioning well? But the overall concept is going to be a case of are you sleeping well and where's your energy? Those are two very simple feeling markers allow us to get an idea of how is Eric's body actually operating and building an overall complete assessment of what's actually going on before we dive into our blood work and do a much deeper biomarker assessment of what needs to move from simply normal range into optimum to get you back to a high degree of recovery, energy, and performance. Okay. Yeah, that that certainly makes sense. And and those of you listening, if you go on the website, you'll be able to see you know, right, right on the homepage, essentially, there's a link to get to a YouTube video. It's just right embedded in the webpage and it's less than two minutes. It really cleared up a lot for me as, as far as what's the overview of this 10,000 foot view of it. So I highly encourage you to check out the show notes for that. And Ali, I think at this point, I really want to maybe, maybe switch gears and talk about your story or what led you to, to start this. I know that you were a personal trainer for a number of years prior to becoming an entrepreneur, but Really, every entrepreneur has got a story, and I want to hear yours. Yeah, man. Um, for me, it, it did start. I actually came from, you know, all through high school and uni. I was, uh, or college for you guys, <laughs> it was yeah. very much down the business degree standpoint, right? I thought I'd be a, a classic corporate professional in that spot of I was studying all things economics and and uh, international business and all the usual points there, and I found myself. Uh, moving into a personal training space on top of this. And this actually, coming back to your point, I invested into my first coach. It was about a $3,500 investment as a student in his second year of study um, in order to make sure I was running in the right direction. Now, it started off as a personal, um, essentially, exercise coach or nutrition, like essentially like a health coach, and then moved into more of the business scenario because it was, you know, one, I was looking at it through the lens of, okay, how can I optimize my training, my movement, my fueling in order to make the most of this scenario? But then it also became a case of, okay, he's doing this at scale. How does this work? So as I moved into the personal training space, there was a huge focus on if I'm going to do this properly, I'm going to be the best I can possibly be. And there's probably some ego to that. There's some competition behind it. And I think looking at business like competition at some degree is beneficial, right? And 
you know, for many personal trainers or even small businesses, the simple understanding that you think your product is good, yet nobody knows about it, eight, eight me like broke broke me apart, right? And looking at it through the lens of, I was optimizing every aspect of exercise in order for this client or person to move forward, yet. As I started to make a name for myself, as I started to have a bit of a waiting list and I was building up a, a really solid client load, I was looking through a very small lens of what was exercise, right? Once you start to build that sort of base, you start to naturally see that you're working with more business owners, more busy professionals. And I became very aware of these guys were getting stronger. They were enjoying their workouts, but they weren't changing. And this awareness towards the amount of stress and inflammation that they were walking through the door with that was being entirely unaddressed and simply they were unaware of became a really good place for us to start. So for me, this just became a natural progression of my learning curve. And I think I'm sure you, you've had this conversation on the podcast before is I think business is the best self-development tool there ever is because it, it basically builds out a path of personal development and learning for you. And as you start to build down that, you essentially just become a problem solver and you start to solve bigger and bigger problems. So rather than just looking at the training lens, we start to look at nutrition. We start to look at lifestyle design. We now start to look at business performance. We start to look at sleep quality. All of these things that allow us to build a much more complete picture of how this person is going to perform and function at his best. So that became a very natural transition for us online because it was simply a goal of fixing the next biggest problem. And I realized that this was a, a 10-year degree in every direction. So it did become a, a collection of experts that, you know, fast forward to today's model becomes really a combination of uh, physical, psychological, and digestive stress because we're trying to ta tackle health from all angles. And like we talked about with your initial, you know, intake of Eric, it was the awareness of looking and assessment of those, all those pieces to get their body back on their side. So, you know, they're... There's a whole lot of components there where I was part of startups, I was part of marketing agencies, I was doing three different things all at the same time. But ultimately, it was a case of learning the game of business and tying it towards where my true passion was, which was ultimately human performance to the everyday business owner and busy professional. And I think looking at it through the lens of you're working just as hard, you're just running the wrong direction was something that I had an obsession with that I'm now helping you know hundreds, if not thousands of clients with. That was really where it started for me. It was just fixing bigger and bigger problems. Right. Yeah. And that's got to be a paradigm shift to realize you've been working so hard, but going in the wrong direction. I think that's, it'd probably be a terrible realization to have in that moment, but in the long run, obviously could not be more grateful for that so that you can flip and now help people prevent that from happening rather than realize it in hindsight. And one thing that I've always been curious about in regards to, to coaching and whether it's business coach, health coach, you know, personal life coach is how you scale a business like that because you are one person, you know, do you create a course? Do you create videos where they're not live? What was, what was the thought process with that as far as scaling it and how to get it to be in the hands of all these people when you have a waiting list and you're like, man, I'm only one person at this present moment. What do I do here? Yeah, yeah. Um, initially it became a case of if you look in your particular industry and, and what it looked like for me is there are all these prerequisites that are required for this person to achieve the result that they're here to achieve, right? And if they're looking to get that result through me in a gym setting, then they need to have this, this, and this sorted before the workouts are even effective, 
right? And as we started to have more of that conversation, we started to realize that people could not, they weren't aware of tuning into their own breath. They had no routine in the morning. They were looking after kids. They were picking up their smoothie, running out the door, um, you know, probably not even eating till lunchtime. Uh, and they started with emails. So they weren't even starting with the biggest projects on their on their list, right? So it became a conversation of, okay, I'm building up this, this bank, this this membership vault of key resources and steps that these clients must take in order to get the result with me. So the design of that framework became a a building and refinement over time of what are the key steps that are required in order for this person to get the result ultimately in the day. Now, where that becomes really beneficial and the one thing I think I did right is then you have a method. You don't just have the one mechanism, right? It's not like it's just um, you need to do keto and then you nail it. It's like, well, there's so much more <laughs> to this that we need to consider. So having a method that allows you to go from A to Z, knowing these are the steps in this order that are required, allows you to look at health optimization or in your particular industry in a way that you know there's a sequence of steps for someone to follow. And when you look in it that way, you're starting to consider the variables of for this particular niche, this particular person that I'm working with, it's no longer just about more information, right? We live in a world that there's so much more, so much information, even if we tried, we wouldn't get through 1% of it. The goal is to make it one accurate. And if you start to build a brand and name for yourself, then people trust you that what you are saying is accurate. But there's a further step to take, which is relevant. And when you really step on relevant, you start to talk to Eric as a 55-year-old business owner that needs to get his body back on his side. And when we look at it through that lens, you realize that Ollie has the exact framework for that particular individual. He doesn't have the framework for the you know, 25-year-old Olympian, but he has the, you know, the framework for the person I'm looking for. And that just allows you to get very confident with the exact person you're working with. And uh, you know, one of the, my mentors told me, you simply need to outwork yourself down, all right? Getting to the point of how you're building towards a space of you, you've done it so many times that you know that exact framework for that exact individual. Yeah, that was something that immediately drew my attention when I was researching you and your company was that such narrow niche focus of I help people this age with this exact specific problem. And that to me, like really from learning, you know, entrepreneurship and talking to successful people on the show, that's how you win and that's how you succeed is by having that narrow focus to become a go-to resource or an authority in that space. So Ali, as someone who like runs a multi seven-figure company as well as helping thousands, you know, 1500 plus people on their health and wellness journeys. How do you personally balance the demands of entrepreneurship and your own physical health? How do you keep that in balance so that you can continue to both serve your clients and your your family and friends? Yeah, I think the awareness of balance being something that changes over time and realizing that I'm very aware of the priorities or the priority in my life at a particular point. I think as soon as you start making priorities plural, <laughs> that's where mm. things start to get murky. And for me, I know that if I want to build uh, a particular area of my life, there's going to be hyper-focus on it for anywhere from two to six months, right? But I'm as intentional as possible to make sure that it becomes six months. It doesn't bleed into a three or four-year thing. And that was just something that you start to become aware of is, hang on, there's all these people building you know, million dollar or billion dollar businesses that lose their relationships, they lose their health, and you know, everything worth building in the first instance is no longer there. Where's the fun in that? Right. So this is not something I've mastered. I'm human like the rest of us, but I think looking at it through the lens of I need to be hyper aware that there's things I care about in my life. There's my relationship, there's my 
my friends, there's my personal health, there's my hobbies, right? And looking at those through the, those lenses, the amount of presentations and conversations I've had with business owners of, you know, what do you do for joy? And they just look at me like a deer in headlines, right? Because we've got to a point that we simply get up, we go to work, we pay the bills, we go to sleep and we start again. And I, this just comes back to a living an intentional life. And I think many of us, like uh, Alex Moses says, um, you have to have that ro- rock, uh, rocky cutscene, right? You have to have that area where there's probably a two to five year period where you're just eating shit and things are not uh, particularly gracious. They are unbalanced and you just have to work. You have to get through that period. And I think that's part of delayed gratification. You know what you're after. You know you're onto the right thing. You have product market fit, but you need to work. So there's absolutely periods there where I, I've really felt that, you know, ironically, as a health coach, I was starting to age quicker. My health was going downhill. You know, I was eating relatively well, but I went from uh, essentially 220 pounds at 10% body fat to very much a, maybe 190 pounds at 15% body fat, right? So again, it's a standard. It's not like I was 30% body fat. But it was a level where I was starting to really see my health decline. I was starting to see my relationships weren't as connected. Friends, what are those, right? Like it really got to a point where it's like, okay, I need to take this into check. So I'm not under the fallacy that I think it's always going to be balanced all of the time. But I think getting an awareness of how long are you going to make this the project and how are you going to make sure that those other pillars don't completely crumble? Yeah. Do, do you ever experience, you know, what people would call imposter syndrome in, in a situation like that as, you know, like the expert on health and wellness, and you yourself are feeling the decline of your own health and wellness, does that kind of rock your world a little bit initially to think like, gosh, do I even know what I'm talking about? Do you ever feel, did you ever feel that way in in terms of your journey? Yeah. uh, For me, I was just incredibly grateful that I was in the industry I was because I was, I was hyper aware of why my health was in the spot. It wasn't that I was questioning, you know, why am I not healthy? What's going on? I knew exactly what was going on. I was working hundred hour weeks every day, not sleeping and doing everything possible. I knew it was there, but I was just incredibly grateful to be in the industry. I was because I'm like, geez, imagine if I was in outside of the health industry and I didn't have these constant reminders to be the person I need to be. Right. And yeah, I, I don't think it was imposter syndrome through that level. I think, uh, there's so many, you know, health is one of the most opinionated industries out there. I'm sure it's every industry and maybe I'm just too I'm closer to this one, but everyone's got an opinion on health. For us, it simply became a case of because we had so much volume, so many results, so many testimonials, it was just a case of, well, this is what's working for my clients. So you can question it all you like, but I'm seeing the best results of this because I'm not, um, you know, emotionally attached to it being keto or fasting or uh, paleo or whatever it is, it's that plan. And we've always kept it to be a a method, which means that it's a adjustable sequence for the individual. It's not a every person in my program's on keto. <laughs> right. Right. And making that shift allows you to have a level of conviction of just you've just got so much proof that that's working. Yeah, exactly. And another thing that you made me think of well, a previous guest of mine, Jeff Madoff, had shared in episode 43. If you haven't checked that out, please do so. He spoke on the fact that nothing creative can come out of a, a sense of balance. I asked him about work-life balance, and he's like, you know, I don't think anything creative can come out of balance. Like, what is balance? And so that got me thinking in terms of, you know, I'm sure you've experienced this too, Ali, but as you're building your business, you're building your brand, you probably notice it kind of starts to bleed into, you know, your life. And you know, Ali is, you know, what is body reset? And it's synonymous, you know, you're tied to it in your your name and likeness and Maybe not so much with someone working, you know, a, a W-2 job. Maybe you feel a little more disconnected, but 
I at least can feel it in terms of my journey with my buddy and I have a company online where we help uh, pharmacy students and pharmacists pass a law test. You know, we're starting to to kind of feel like this this balance between entrepreneurship and and work life and that type of thing. You know, it's not really so much about balance. It's like, hey, we we actually genuinely love doing this, and so we want to push and into more of that. So I'm sure you experienced some of that too in, in your journey building this brand. But what what advice would you give someone if they aren't sure what their niche is yet? If they know they're interested in being a business owner, being an entrepreneur, but they just don't know what area to pursue? For me, I think it comes out of a level of one, you haven't found that person yet. And I think that's a very real awareness when you're starting out is, you know, I had this conversation with a personal trainer the other day and I asked that exact question, like, who is your individual client? And they basically, you know, went on to describe every single possible person that could walk into their gym, right? Yeah. I think that's where most people start. And I certainly had, you know, we went through a phase of, you know, anyone that wants to weight train. And then we went down to a phase of, well, who wants to be most effective with their time? And then what kind of roles do they have? And then it just became iterative from there. And there were tweaks and and pivots and turns along the way. I can't tell you how many times we've adjusted that, but it simply became an awareness of who do you enjoy working with the most. And I think that becomes a really easy lens to look at. If you take away the scarcity mindset of what if I say no to the person that I need to work with, that and then it itself is one of the biggest obstacles, right? It's like this person's asking I can work with them. You can still work with them, but realize that your outward message needs to be towards the person that you can serve the best, not just in your best interest, but in theirs too, right? Because there's always another generalist out there that will happily take them on. But if you truly want to become, uh, you know, and it, it, it depends on what level of coach you want to become. But if it is really something where you're trying to build your own method, your own brand, something where you are uh, trying to create your little segment in the industry, there's a level of refinement that I, I think give give yourself permission to trip up along the way and listen to the clients you're working with, find the ones that really give you energy, set up a little rating score after you get off calls. Which one gave me energy? Are there calls that drain you and you feel like you're putting all the work into the call and they aren't versus the other ones that you get on the call with and they're like, I've got it, I love it, moving on to the next step. And you're like, this is amazing. Yep. And the more you get of those, it's just going to be iterative. you know. And still now I'm going to have a client or two that I'm like, okay, I don't think they're entirely a good fit with the brand. But if I've got 99 out of 100 that are coming through, they're like, this is the person I want to work with. The quality of a program becomes the quality of your clients, right? And when you start right. to refine based on that, that starts to give you a level of confidence of you're simply serving both yourself and the client better for refining, for focusing. And I think just giving yourself permission to, to do that over time. It took us five years to find our audience that we now work with. Um, it wasn't a two-month thing. And I think there's a lot of, you know, that that one, that first sale, right? And that first, like, this is a good fit is the hardest part. Yeah. And, and really finding out that ideal avatar is, is one of those, you know, kind of buzzwords you can hear in, in entrepreneurial circles is, who's your avatar? What are you targeting? So it's helpful for me to hear that as well. And kind of goes back to the earlier point of delayed gratification of, you know, you you got to suffer through some shit to be able to get to where you want to be and, and see if it's going to work. And if it doesn't, like we talked about earlier, you know, either scrapping the idea or refining it and your goal and progressing towards the right direction. So Ali, I, I have, you know, kind of another angle to to dive in to find out a little bit more about how we can emulate some of the success you've had in terms of the process. And that really, for me, starts at understanding what the definition of success is. I think it's helpful for people to hear, people define it, people think about 
What, you know, where has their definition shifted? Has it changed over time? So Ali, what is your current definition of success today in terms of your personal life? And how has that changed, if at all? I think it's changed massively. Uh, for me right now, it's really just fulfillment, right? It's making sure I'm working with the people I want to work with in the time I want to work with in the location I want to work with. And I think that's just a level of freedom that you start to get closer to. Initially, and I probably wouldn't have said so at the time, there was a level of uh, achievement that is has always been there. And you can tell, you know, medals behind me, et cetera, in the level of uh, rowing, then um, bodybuilding, and then business, right? And being able to hit that first uh, gold medal, to hit that first million, right? And every time you hit something, you're like, that wasn't what it was cracked up to be. And you start to look at it through the lens of, well, I actually really enjoyed the process. And I look back through the months where that was really tough or I was leaning into it. And it was that last couple of weeks before the bodybuilding show or the the period I didn't think I'd get through where we were two, two uh, coaches short and you know clients knocking on the door. You know, that stuff where it's like that really pushes you to a new level. And just realizing, you know, the classic saying of, You've got to enjoy the journey, not not the end destination, right? And looking at it through the lens of the build, the growth, the learning throughout the process, I think really is where that comes from. Initially, I don't think it was entirely external. Like I, I couldn't care less about having three Ferraris, but I, I'm certainly a car guy. I wouldn't mind one. It was really <laughs> looking at it through the lens of uh, building something to really just back up my work ethic. I think at the end of the day, it was just like, I want to prove that I actually am really good at this. Right. And I think that for a lot of people is they just you're you're in one of two categories. One, you don't know what you want to do and you want to make sure that uh, whatever it is becomes successful and big. And you want to make sure that you're recognized for that. The second one is you've found your passion. You know what the thing is. It just doesn't have traction yet. And you want it to be bigger or um, more recognized than it currently is. So it really comes back down to appreciation and and status, I guess, at the end of the day, is what most people are looking for at some degree. Once you reach a couple le- levels of it, I think you start to realize that nobody cares. It was only you that cared in the first instance, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. And once you get to that point, it's now becomes an expansion of what does fulfillment look like for you? What lights you up? And I think that's why it's really, really important, you know, coming back to your last question is who's the person that you want to work with the most? Because once you get past those first couple rungs of success through the typical um uh, external sense, you start to realize that who you're working with and what you do on a day-to-day basis is the only thing that's going to make it a long-term outcome or something that you want to do for a long time. Yeah. that. Thank you so much, Ali. I mean, I really appreciate that. And it really does, you know, kind of go back to the overarching theme from a lot of guests is enjoy the process, you know, not the results. And I do also love how we started with think about the end goal in mind specifically too, though. So it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of, you got to think of it from both ways and you need to be intentional about where you're going. But also when you do achieve something, it is, it's kind of funny. You look back and you appreciate that process and that journey and the hard work so much more than you did in that moment when you were sitting there grinding out till two in the morning to, you know, finish a, a program or build something out for one of your customers. And another thing on terms of success that I've noticed is when it's metric based, it's a lot easier for me to quantify if I am being successful. So you know, having gone through a lot of traditional schooling, it's really easy to become accustomed to if I get an 85% on this assignment, that will bring my average up above 90, I will get an A in the course. And it's a little different when you get out into the real world. You know, you have to kind of what, like you were saying, go to 
what is your definition of what what is fulfillment and success to you? And so I really, I really appreciate you hitting on that. I have one final hypothetical question. I am a huge fan of hypotheticals. I don't know what your thoughts are on them, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Suppose you were given the choice of focusing on and enhancing only one of the two, which would you prioritize, your physical health or your mental health, and why? Mental health uh, would be the focus, and this is simply because this was a transition I went through with a, a rather large motorbike crash two years ago. Oh, wow. Where at the time, I was, it was probably entire, 90% physical in regards to why I trained, or at least I thought it was. And then going through that transition of basically breaking, uh, essentially, just to give you an idea, it was I was racing around a track, so it was on a closed circuit. I was doing about 140, 150 miles an hour down one of the back straights, and I had entire brake failure. Oof. So, you know, one corner, your brakes are fine. Next corner, they're gone. You're going 140 miles in towards a wall, and you don't know how you're going to stop, right? Uh, woke up on the other side of the track, you know, 30 meters, I don't know how many feet that is, but a long way away you know, half a football field away from the track uh, with quite a few muscles and, and bones and things broken, um, actually more soft tissue than bones. But, the, and I've just gone through my second surgery about 13, 14 weeks ago. So it was a, you know, I thought it was better 18 months ago. It wasn't better next surgery, right? So it's been a huge process. And really for me, taking away exercise, even for a short amount of time, really forced me to look at uh, how I was coping with life. Right. And I think many of us have some some version of that. It might be just our little hot coffee in the morning. It might be alcohol. It might be drugs. It might be um, exercise. Right. And there's all these subtle little addictions or reliances on things throughout the day that most of the time we're not even aware of. And that in itself has allowed me to look at health in such a different sphere where most people just transitioning your addiction from coffee to a morning walk might still be an addiction. It might still be a reliance, but it probably is a little bit more beneficial, right? Probably, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And being able to build that space of just what are those non-negotiables? What are those anchors in your day that allow you to just feel better? And feel better, I'm intentionally keeping nice and broad because feeling better could be energetic. It could be motivated. It could be focused, productive. All of those words that allow us to just feel a little bit more in tune. And I think for for me, exercise has always been a way to feel uh, in tune with my body, and I feel that when we when I went through that crash, went through that process, I realized that there was a massive limitation on me being able to train physically, but I did it for my mental health, like massively. And just that transition, even now, getting back into weight training, I'm starting to enjoy having a bit more muscle back, feeling like I've got a little bit more strength. But it's just become so much more of a powerful anchor around my mental health and being able to show up for you know, the the people in my life I care about showing up for me, just feeling like those little moments in between meetings or in between getting back from the gym where you're driving home by yourself and the thoughts in your head are positive, you know? Right. And I think when you create that space where there's just a nice little mental, mental chatter that feels like it's moving in the right direction and it's not something that's, oh, I'm waiting for this next thing or I wish this wasn't as hard or just the crap we say to ourselves. And, and when you audit that stuff and you realize that, you're training or doing those little things in your day to uh, feel better emotionally. It, it has a huge impact on every other area and your body keeps the score anyway. So it's going to impact you physically. Right. When I assume, are you feeling better now compared to, to 18 months ago? How is it getting yeah, there? Yeah. yeah. Uh, shoulder function still limited. Um, I tore basically every muscle off my shoulder. You could, oh. um, 
but uh, you know, knowing I, I know mechanics well, I, I've trained you know thousands of clients at this point on how to move. Uh, you know, I know what to focus on. It's just going to be again delayed gratification. I know where it needs to go. I can't be impatient, and I need to just chip away at the at the big rock. Right. One one might say you're the perfect person to have had that tragedy happen to you, and thankfully you're 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 alive and well and speaking to me now. I I am really really grateful for the time you've shared with me, Ali. I think. You know, the audience, hopefully you have just loved this interview. It's been so much fun to talk to Ollie Wood. And we will look forward to following Body Reset because we're all going to get older, hopefully. And that's the goal. So I look forward to potentially working with you in the future. And Ollie, if, if people want to reach out and connect with you, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, man. I guess the goal is you the, the number on the calendar gets older, but hopefully you don't feel older. And if you want to go through that process of, yeah, maybe you're only in your mid mid thirties, or maybe you are forties and fifties, and you're just starting to see things aren't responding like they used to, and the the weight training is a little bit harder, or maybe just the motivation to even get up is harder, um, or even you're eating relatively well, and and you're starting to notice the gut starting to build. Um, if that's something you want to dive into, just go to bodyreset.online. That's our main website, uh, and I think the best place to start if you're in that spot that I just described would be would be the five day challenge. We break this down separately for a male and female five day challenge, and it just walks you through some really simple action steps you can install into your life. Uh, and then you can follow me on on Instagram or any of the socials, uh, or even just go through our podcast. We do have a, co- a podcast called Your Body Reset, and that really is a uh, more me walking you through step by step some of the key concepts we we use with our clients, uh, less of interview style, more of a here's some action steps you can really install from here. Yep, that sounds great, Ali. I'll be sure to tag all that in the show notes. And if you go to ericrmuller.com forward slash Eric Mueller Show. You'll be able to click listen now and access all this online, be able to copy and download all these links and access all the wonderful resources Ali has shared. We can't thank him enough for being on. And Ali, we'll look forward to chatting with you soon. Thanks, Eric. Um, your questions are thoughtful. The The transitions were all over the show and they were amazing. So being able to just uh, you know explore the journey of of growth, building and self-development, I think you, you, know, you obviously love what you do and being able to um, bring people on to share with you know your audience is, is pretty fun so thanks for bringing me on I really appreciate it right back at you <laughs>